A very good evening to all of you. Um, so happy to be here. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is uh, Barnabas, and it's such a joy to be here uh, to share God's word with you. Uh, before we just look into God's word, can we just all calm ourselves down, look to God in prayer. Lord, thank you, Lord, for this evening. Thank you, Lord, for this new year that you've given us a privilege to enter into, Lord. There's so many people who haven't seen the dawn of this new year, but you've given us this opportunity. Help us to always be grateful. And as we enter into your word, Lord, as we look into your word, Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would take aside all distractions, Lord. Help us to be sensitive to your spirit and the prompting of your word, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Uh, one of my most favorite medical dramas, uh, if you know medical dramas, things like uh, Scrubs, um, House, have you heard of House MD? So there's this show called House MD that I love, okay? It's one of my favorite shows. And there's this one episode where they bring in this guy to the hospital who's, um, who's on death row, okay? So this guy has committed a grave offense, he's murdered somebody, and they've brought him to the hospital to to deal with some issues, some physical issues. And as they do investigations, they fi find out that this guy has bouts of aggression, okay? And this is because there's some disease in his body which causes certain hormones to rise in his body and he acts aggressively. And in one of these bouts, he kills this person because of which he's on death row, okay? And as he comes in, you know, all of these doctors around him and they're looking at him very verily because you know of course he's a murder convict uh, he's on death row you know what kind of a person would he be you know and, in, and and during one of these conversations with one of these doctors he says to this doctor and this and really caught my attention and he says doc you don't really know how it feels like for your entire life to be defined by the worst thing that you have done Doc, you do not know what it feels like for your entire life to be defined by the worst thing that you've done. And we're going to look at something similar, a person with similar experience like this. You know? And if we turn to Luke chapter 7, Luke chapter 7, verses 36 onwards. And I'll read this passage and we'll slowly start going through this passage one by one, right? Luke chapter 7, verses 36 onwards. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. When a certain immoral woman from that city heard he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt beside him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She is a sinner. Look how interestingly, there's no mention of this name of this woman. You know, there's no name given. The only way in which she's identified is by two words. Two words describe her, and one word is that she is an immoral woman, and one that she is a sinful woman. And a lot of us sitting here, maybe today, are already beginning to resonate with that, with her story, with that story. 
Maybe a lot of us sitting over here, our lives are defined by what has happened to us. Defined by the hurts, defined by mess-ups that we made, defined by boundaries we had set for ourselves, we said would not cross, and we have crossed them multiple times. Maybe our lives are defined by a habit that we're trying to get rid of, but every time we promise ourselves we will not do it, we end up there again in that same place. Maybe it's a friendship that you had and that person broke your trust and you are defined by that event in your life. You look back to your past year and every time I talk to somebody and I talk to them about their past year, there's one some incident or one some thing that always seems to define our lives, seems to define our year. But is it that what defines us, these things that are defining us, are keeping us from really coming to God? Think about this woman. I do not know the history of the Bible does not say why this woman ended up in, most probably she was a pro, uh, prostitute and you don't know why she ended up in prosti prostitution, but you kind of get the sense that things like these just don't happen because a woman suddenly gets up one day and says, you know, I wish, I feel like being a prostitute today. You know, there were certain circumstances in her life that caused her to be in that place. Maybe she was abused, maybe she was taken advantage of, maybe she was forced by poverty to be there. I do not know what that is. But she also has things that define her over here. The society looks at her and defines her that way. But why is that that she is able to come to Jesus? Why is it that we are not able to come to Jesus? Why is it that the things that we have used to define ourselves prevent us from coming to Jesus? Is it maybe because while everybody else was focusing on her identity, was focusing on her past, on what she had done, she was focusing on who Jesus is and what his identity is. You know, the story starts long before this, okay? The story doesn't start here in this chapter. You know, in, in Luke chapter 4, if you turn back to Luke chapter 4, in verses 18, you know, Jesus goes to the synagogue and he takes out this scroll, you know, which is, which is uh, the Torah or the Bible for the Jews and, and he reads this passage from the Torah and this, and this passage is from the book of Isaiah and this goes like this. The spirit of the Lord is upon me for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. You look at the words that, the key words in this, in this passage, it says, good news to the poor, captives will be released, oppressed will be set free, the blind will see. While everybody else is focusing on who she is, her past, what she's done, she focuses on who Jesus is. She's heard news about Jesus, she's heard how he interacts with the crowds, she's heard how he interacts with the tax collectors and sinners how he heals the sick, how he touches the lepers. And she's heard that if there is somebody in whose presence she needs to be, it is Jesus. Are our past, is our hurts preventing us from coming to Jesus? Are we so hurt today? We're sitting here 
And we ask ourselves the question, why did God allow that to happen in my life? I had so many dreams, I had so many aspirations, but circumstances in my life were a stumbling block from me getting to where I wanted to be. And we have hold, held on to that. We become a victim of our own circumstances and we hold on to it. What, is, what are those things that prevent us from coming to Christ, to God today? If you read ahead, it says, when the Pharisee in verse 39, who had invited him, saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She is a sinner. So already, this, this woman has come in. She is an uninvited guest. She is uh, not of good moral character, not the kind of people that you would hang out with. And this is my dinner. These are my guests. I've invited them. And this person has come in uninvited. This is already getting really uncomfortable. You know, in those days, uh, dinners were not just an ordinary thing, okay? So if you invited somebody over to dinner, it had to be somebody who was eminent, who was in a position of authority or respect or famous, you know, and you invited them so that you could get to spend time with them and then you could maybe build a relationship and maybe over time they could do you some favors, you know, and that's how it went. You know, and, and Simon the Pharisee who invites Jesus is of the same idea. He thinks, okay, this is my dinner. These, this is the class of people that's supposed to be here. Who, who is this woman who's here? Why is she here? And, 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 she, and, and not only that, she's totally embarrassing him, herself. She's crying on Jesus' feet. She's shedding her tears and she's wiping them with her hair and she's putting perfume on Jesus' feet, it's already very uncomfortable. Hasn't she already embarrassed herself by being here now that she has to do all of these things? And as, as a person who's, who's listening to this story, you would think, okay, you know, you know, kind of have a sense, okay, where this story is heading to, you know, uninvited guest, that people don't want her to be here, she's embarrassing herself, what do you do, you know? And, and, and you think, okay, as you listen to the story, you like, you kind of get a cue of what Jesus would do. But Jesus does the exact opposite. If you keep reading, Jesus said, then Jesus answered his thoughts. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. Then Jesus told him a story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to the other, but neither of them could repay him. So he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. Then he turned to this woman and said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. You would think, okay, this is the person who's not supposed to be there. This is the antagonist. She needs to be out of here. But here, Jesus dignifies her. She's totally embarrassed herself, but the very act of what people would say is embarrassing, Jesus takes that and he dignifies. And now suddenly, Simon, who's invited Jesus to his house has not welcomed the way that this woman has, in, has welcomed Jesus. She does the things that Simon was, had to do. And God and Jesus uplifts her. He dignifies her. 
He dignifies her past. He dignifies all that she's done. He takes all of that and he dignifies her. You know, we live in a society which, where being weak or showing weakness is not a good thing. Think about it. You go to school from a very young age and you see this kid who has buck teeth and he's made fun of, he's ragged. And from a very young age, you get the cue maybe, you know, that flaws are meant to be hidden. Flaws are not meant to be displayed. And you age and you become older and then it kind of transitions in different ways. You maybe trusted somebody and they broke your trust and now you are so cynical you can't trust anybody. And there's this mask behavior that you have that you present in front of everybody and everybody's like, why are they behaving this way? I do not understand. Maybe there's some other behavior that you're masking. Maybe everybody called you a failure. Maybe everybody said that you would do no good, even your own family said that. And now all your life, all your one goal, your one aim is to pre prove everybody wrong. And you're working hard and you're doing everything possible and your whole life is about achieving and proving people wrong. And that's the mask behavior that you're exhibiting today. But Jesus, he takes our stories, he takes our mess-ups, our deepest hurts, and he uses it for his glory. Think about it. What are those stories that are there today that are meant to be shared? What are those stories that need to be shared today as you come and you fall down at Jesus' feet and you weep? Maybe the, the way that you can do that is maybe come and share with somebody that you trust in a, close, in a protective community where you're able to share the abuse that you went through, the hurts that you have, the scars that you have in your life, and you're able to come and share them. And people pray with you, walk with you in this time of healing. And slowly and steadily, as God heals you, to be able to see God use your story to reach others in this same situation. What are those stories that are hidden today that you need to bring to Jesus' feet. If you read ahead, in verse 47, Jesus says, after she's done this, after Jesus has acknowledged her, she's taken something that people see as embarrassing and he's dignified her, he says this to her, he says, I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven, so she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. You know, Jesus doesn't say, okay, you, 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 you know, you've, you've done this, you've done that, you've, you've, uh, you've lived an immoral life, it's, it's all okay, you know, it's, it's gone. He confronts us with our sins. He does confront us. And he says, and he says, he says, I tell you her sins, and they are many. He doesn't live in denial. He confronts us with our sins, but he acknowledges our sins and then he embraces us as we are. Jesus confront, confronts us with our sins, but embraces us as we are. Not for a second does he rationalize our sins like we do sometimes. We rationalize our past. We give reasons for why things happen and maybe things happen because they were out of your control because maybe people reacted towards you. They did stuff to you that you did not imagine. You ended up in situations that you do not imagine. 
but you've ended up in this life now, in this, in this pattern that's taken you far down this road. Jesus does confront us, but he does embrace us. And he really frees us to have rich relationships. Think about this. Some of the most deepest relationships that you have are the people are with the people that know everything about you, yet embrace you and love you. We live in a world today where love is equal to unconditional acknowledgement. You know, if you love me, then you have to acknowledge each and every decision I make, each and every choice that I have made without having any problems with it. And the moment you disagree with me, that's rude, that's offensive, that's hateful. A lot of us are having friendships today where the basis of our friendship is that we don't talk to each other about the things that are uncomfortable. A lot of us have relationships like these. But Jesus wants to invite us into this rich relationship where he confronts us with our sins, where he sees and he, and, and he shows us the ways in which we are doing life, we are making choices that are not in accordance with his ways and that are not bringing him glory and are not good for us but yet he embraces and acknowledges us. And when we understand that, we are able to have rich relationships ourselves. When I know that I'm accepted, I'm loved, no matter what, I'm able to love other people in the same way. I'm able to love them, <coughs> but at the same time, when they go <coughs> out <coughs> of there, when they go out of their ways, when they go away from God, I'm able to, we're able to look at them and point out those areas in their lives. And at the same time, we're also able to accept comments from people. Maybe there's a friend of ours who points out things in our life that's taking us far from God, choices that we're making that are not good. We're able to receive them as acts of love, rather than look at this at some hostile action. Jesus acknowledges us as we are. He embraces us as we are, but he confronts us with our sins. What are the identities that we are holding on to today? Think about it. What are those identities that are preventing us from coming to God, that are preventing us from coming to him? What are the stories that need to be told today? Stories that we need, that can only be given an exit point, stories that can only be made known first when we come to Jesus' feet. When we come and acknowledge our hurts is when God can take that story and use it for his glory. What are those stories that are hidden? And are we people who live rich relationships In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9 to 11, Paul says, each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power was, works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. In this world where the narrative is being strong 
is everything, Jesus offers a counter-narrative where he says, when we are weak, his power is made strong. It's only when we bring our stories of weaknesses and falls and failures and mess-ups that God is glorified through our lives. So I encourage you today, think about those things that prevent you. Think about the stories and come to this God who embraces us as we are, but he confronts us with our sins and we are never the same. And as this woman leaves, if you read the story onwards, while this men at the table are saying among themselves, who is this man that he get, goes around forgiving sins? Jesus says to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And I pray that today we all are able to go back in peace, knowing that in our weaknesses, God's strength is made known. Let me pray for you guys. Lord, thank you, Lord, for this time. Thank you, Lord, for this opportunity. This new year, Lord. Maybe we've had a lot of regrets this past year, things that we've done that have not gone the way that we wanted to. Decisions we've made, plans we made, relationships that we had that didn't turn out the way we thought. But we bring all of those things, all of those weaknesses, those hurts, those pains, Lord, to your feet, Lord. Lord, we pray, Lord, that we would not seek our identity in people's opinion of us, of their acknowledgement of us, Lord, but we would find acknowledgement in your feet, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that you would use our story for your glory. And I pray this for each and every person in this hall sitting here, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.